A farmer's time is valuable. That's why Blaine's Farm and Fleet has made shopping for your must-haves quick and easy. Simply order online at farmandfleet.com and pick up your items in just one hour in their convenient drive-thru. Or try Farm and Fleet's same-day local delivery option. The world market is evolving, and market strategists are saying that the world is entering a new economic era after some significant world events, such as the COVID pandemic, war between Russia and Ukraine, and weather-related tragedies, just to name a few. I'm Stephanie Hoff for the Midwest Farm Report. Dan Bossy is the president of the Egg Resource Company. He tells me more about what could be the great economic reset. Yeah, so as we think about the world, you know, we've really changed after the pandemic. I don't want to call it the roaring 20s, which is what happened after the last pandemic, but it's somewhat similar in that market volatility is going to remain extreme. Some of this is related to trust. I think we mentioned in the conference about trust. We don't have trust of political leaders. We don't have trust of the media. We don't have trust of our neighbors sometimes. And so all of this trust leads to market decisions and leads to markets being much more volatile, which along with what we believe to be something and related to globalization and then a change to regionalization really gives us this new era in world and American agriculture. And what does this mean from a, a, the marketplace standpoint? whether it's dairy, whether it's corn and soybeans, uh, and dairy components, not just fluid milk. Well, you know, when, when the corn market or dairy markets were moving $2 a hundredweight or 40 cents a bushel, markets were not as important as they are today. We're seeing markets now move a couple dollars in corn, six or seven dollars in milk. This has been happening uh, routinely. And so when, when we look at producer net revenue, the amount that you get to keep, we're now finding that over 60% of that net, net revenue is your decisions of what you market your crops or milk or other things are in the marketplace. So never before has information and markets been more important in American agriculture than they are today. And on the input cost side of things too, whether it's feed or whether it's fertilizer, can you give us a global view at how the marketplace for those items impact Wisconsin farmers going into the new year? Yeah, you know, if you think of our friends in Russia and Belarus, I mean, they account for 43% of the world fertilizer production. That area is in turmoil right now with the war. Russia is promising to boost up their fertilizer exports. But as you think about pricing, it's going to stay high. Everybody has their hands in the American farmer's pocket, Uh, uh, whether it be uh, higher interest rates, higher diesel prices, higher fertilizer prices, higher seed prices, labor prices. There's not one area on the farm that isn't seeing a higher uh, price hike this year compared to last year. And I think that trend basically continues. But this gives the farmer anxiety because his costs are going up and he now needs to make sure that there's a margin there. But that margin in market terms is volatile. And so uh, understanding all this and putting it together into a plan becomes more difficult. We haven't touched yet on weather and how that's impacting our global agricultural market. Well, you know, again, I'm not political on either side, and and, and some people see climate as being a political argument. My vision is that we know by the data that climate is becoming more variable, and we have a new word in our office called heatflation. If I look at just the past year, we've seen episodes of heat we've never seen before globally, India making it up to almost 140 degrees last March. This has a big impact on crop production. It's really caused global crop yields to stagnate. Now, if I don't have global crop yields rising as they normally do, to technology and better farming practices, that means we need more acres. And so our forecast is that the world needs to bring in crop production, additional 24 million acres in the next five years. That's not coming from the United States, the black season problem, South America needs to do it, but it's a hard ask and it's a hard place to do that kind of acreage increase.
Um, before we talk about production numbers here in the U.S., I, w- I want to go back to another implication of weather. Mississippi River levels, record low. Can you elaborate more on that, a key transportation vein in the U.S.? Yeah, if you think about the Mississippi, it is the artery of American agriculture. I mean, it's the, the competitive advantage that we have to have that river flow through right in the right spot for American agriculture to bring our product to the Gulf, but also bring back fertilizer and other goods that we need to the north. So, so, so important. The price of moving things on the river these days is now two and a half times above normal. And so when you look at the cost of corn or soybeans or wheat down at the Gulf, those prices are some of the highest in the world. And when you're the highest price, that means that importers don't buy that. The river levels today as measured in St. Louis are negative. And so the only way we keep the river flowing is by aggressive dredging. And that dredging costs a lot of money. And so uh, if we don't get some changing in the pattern, if we don't get our river level improving, as we turn the calendar to 2023, this is going to become a bigger issue. We've kind of been doom and gloom <laughs> this conversation. I want to ask you if there's any optimism before we talk about some of the other issues that farmers will be facing in 2023. Um, what, anything you're looking forward to, anything positive or optimistic from your standpoint? Well, I, I think generally, I mean, we're talking gloom and doom because of the world logistically and some cost structure. But when you look at the demand side of agriculture, the world will consume more grain this year than we produce for the second time on record. And so this is really important. We're in demand-led markets. We've got new uh, demand drivers such as renewable diesel sponsored by California, Oregon, and Washington. Uh, we've got very strong cash margin markets because of crush margins that are as high as three or four dollars a bushel in soybeans. So there's some real things to be bullish about. I, I just worry about the volatility and want to encourage farmers to use that volatility to their advantage when they think about markets and their opportunities. Soybean meal may become cheaper for dairy cattle feed, other livestock, something maybe to take advantage of in the next couple of years? Oh, absolutely. If you look at the amount of soybean meal crush facilities being built across the United States, U.S. crush capacity will increase 26% in the next three years. We've never seen that in a decade, much less three years. North Dakota has more crush capacity than soybeans. So this is a demand driver. This is all because of renewable diesel and those big credits that California, Washington, are, and, and Oregon are paying for low-carbon fuels. The problem with is that if I squeeze a bean, soybean, I get 11.6 pounds of oil and 47.5 pounds of meal. What do I do with all that meal? And so the dairymen will be key to that. Meal prices will head down over time. We only have two export points to get rid of meal around the, to the world. So domestically, I've really got to take up meal consumption. Dairy is going to be very key to that. Dairy may be key in another sector as well, the beef industry, which you say are confident in a bullish beef market. Yeah, the big beef bull market for agriculture in 2023 and 2024 is cattle. The U.S. cattle herd is now uh, dropped, the beef cow herd has dropped to levels we've not seen on record. So as the western drought continues to limit forage availability and cow slaughter rates stay elevated, the bullish market for cattle really comes into four. And I need every dairyman to think about breeding some of their lower part of their herd to a cross so that we have another calf, bull calf, uh, Angus cross. Maybe it's a Hereford or something like that. But we need those wet bull, bull calves or heifer calves so that we can expand the cow herd and beef to get back to levels that will be sustainable. Today, the demand for U.S. beef is going to be outstripping supply for years to come. 
Another question you've been getting from dairy farmers, is lab-grown or synthetic dairy or meat products going to take over the marketplace? And you're optimistic that traditional agriculture has the edge when it comes to large-scale production. Oh, more than the edge. I think we are the catbird seat and we really can go there. I, again, I, the, the food table is big enough that if somebody wants to try a synthetic dairy product or synthetic meat product, we need them. But I don't think it becomes mainstream. And we can look at Beyond Meat and we can look at some of the Memphis meats or some of the other products and see that they just can't garner the kind of uh, uh, market share that is needed to be revolutionary. So again, they have their place at the table, but it's not the point that we need to be worried about in traditional agriculture, at least just yet. Before I let you go, uh, zooming in on the Wisconsin farm, uh, typical Wisconsin farm, anything else that they should be thinking about in 2023 when it comes to risk mitigation against what's happening on the global scale? Well, I do worry a little bit about China. I worry about the competitive position that the United States and China are now in, that we are, we, we, for the last 30 years, we've been working together and kind of walking a path of China, you, you make our toilet paper and we'll make your agricultural goods. That's now changing where we're both competitors in each direction. And so I do worry about that demand from China. I have an office in Brazil and I find the Chinese in Brazil more often than not. So they are really focusing their efforts on Brazil. Uh, but I do believe there's going to be a, a time frame that that transition works and and we we modify it going forward i would tell this administration that you know china is a competitor but there's still enough world opportunity for both of us that we still should sort of walk together and that china needs agricultural products i would hope they get them from the united states and brazil just not brazil individually should we be ever afraid of China, whether it's their buying power or whether it's them dropping us as uh, someone that they purchase from. I think that today, if the Chinese buyer had a choice of the same good from another country at the same price, they would choose another country because of the politics the United States has issued against them. And so when I walk in the world and, and see trades occurring or cash business, China will go out of its way to secure soybeans or corn from Brazil. They're now buying Brazilian corn, which just a few months ago was, was, would not happen. Phytosanitary Brazil and China have worked together to allow that to move forward. So I guess what I'm saying is we need to think of China as having other opportunities for their agricultural goods. It's not only the United States. And because of that, we need to be more competitive and more endearing in terms of our relationship. We're visiting with Dan Bossy, the president of the Egg Resource Company. He says it's going to be an exciting three to four years, and he suggests farmers find partners to help them digest the volatility in the global marketplace. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Stephanie Hoff.